welcome to The Reading Room. This is Room 18. On this programme, we talk to the author Nikki Valentine about her psychological horror, The Haunted. Someone asked me, do you get scared when you're actually writing it? And I was like, don't think I do. And then I realised that actually when I was writing, my iPod headphones fell on my legs and I jumped out of my skin. Our short story comes from Richard Barter. I've never liked Christmas with its festivities. It's during the drab decline of January that I scour the byways to catch folk at their lowest ebb. We'll be looking ahead to next year with our pick of 2012's new book releases. We also have poetry from Elaine Kazimierczuk and John Welsh and another nomination for our 101 books to read before you die. This is Tony Hawkes, and you're listening to The Reading Room on Siren 107.3. Okay, very pleased to say we are uh, joined here in the Siren FM studio uh, by Nikki Valentine, author of The Haunted, uh, which is uh, classified as a psychological horror. Is that the best way to describe it, Nikki? Oh, it's a tricky one. I mean, I started off really writing it, thinking of it as a ghost story or maybe a supernatural thriller. But my publishers were keen not to use the word supernatural because they didn't want to get any confusion with vampires and werewolves and stuff like that. So that's why they went for that definition. So this is obviously something you're interested in, ghost stories. Oh, yeah, I always have been. It's something that's fascinated me from being really young. And also, as I've got older, more and more thinking about how much of that is real and how much of it is to do with people's psychologies and imaginations. It is. I I don't want to get too deep too quickly, but have you made your own mind up about that kind of thing? Not really, not 100%. So you're still like me on the the fence with that one. I'm on the fence and I think that comes across in the way that I write about it, actually. Well, let's let's look at that. Uh, Let's look at The Haunted. Tell us about The Haunted. What's it about? So The Haunted is about um, a couple who are on second honeymoon and they travel up to Scotland. It's slightly inspired by my own honeymoon, which was in Scotland. But obviously that wasn't quite such a horror story. (laughs) (laughs) But um, yeah, we basically we tried to walk out to a bothy. When we got there, the river was flooded and we couldn't get in. So we had to turn back and we ended up walking through the highlands in the dark. It was a bit scary. Okay, so what's what's a bothy? A bothy is like a a hut in the middle of the highlands where you can camp. I mean, they were really built for shepherds, farmers, people who needed to stay overnight in the middle of nowhere. Um, But now there's a mountain bothies association. And if you go camping or walking in the highlands, you can stay in a bothy. Wow, that sounds like fun. Yeah, it is, it is good fun. So what happens What happens in the story? Don't don't give anything away, though. Martin and Susie, who are the main characters, they actually get to the bothy, unlike myself and my husband. And that's when all the trouble starts, because they get there, that's when it starts to really pour down with rain, and they can't get back. And so they're stuck there for quite a long time, and things go very wrong. And we'll leave it there, because obviously, you know, <laughs> there'll, be, there'll be twists and turns along the way, which, uh, uh, which, which I, I would recommend anyone to read. Um, your background, you've worked previously... Uh, uh, under a pseudonym of uh, Nicola Monaghan, is that right? Monaghan was my maiden name. I see. So um, it was my real name at the time and has become a pseudonym. <laughs> so, yeah, I always wanted to... I got married, got this new name, Valentine. I thought that was quite cool. So I always had it in mind that I might write something in a slightly different genre using the new name. Yeah, because it seems you can uh, you can disperse it from, from your previous work. I mean, if, if you were going to put that marketing head on, what would you put your previous work under? I guess it's kind of... It's gritty realism... So so in changing genres, have you changed publishers as well? I have, yeah. So I was published through Random House for the literary fiction and then for the new sort of supernatural stuff, it's Sphere, which is part of Little Brown. And, and when you were searching for that, surely, you know, you're gaining confidence with being published previously. Was it was it then easy to gain a new publishing deal or was it still, uh, you know, the, the struggle that we, we imagine it might be? Well, I mean, I've got an agent, so that made it easier for starters because he gave me lots of good advice about what kind of stuff would sell and he knew where to sell send it and where he might be able to get a deal so that made it much easier 
said before, it was, you know, the, that first battle, that first hurdle to overcome finding the agent in the first place was the biggest thing. And how would you, how would you advise anyone to, to go about seeking that agent? Because I know we have a lot of, uh, a lot of writers listen to the programme. Um, I think my biggest piece of advice is to make your writing as good as it can be. Share it with other people, get loads of feedback and just polish it and polish it. But also find out which agents are into the kind of thing you're writing. So similar writers, look, find out who their agents are. It'll often be in the acknowledgements or you'll be able to find out online somehow in the Writers and Artists Yearbook, they often have it listed who's represented by who. And then just follow the guidelines really carefully. I think it's um, surprising how often people don't. That, you know, they kind of read, oh, it says to send three chapters, but you know you know what? I'll just send the manuscript and the, then he can read as much as he wants. And agents and publishers as well really don't take very kindly to that. They'll often just not bother to read it at all. I mean, it's interesting there you say about polishing up your writing because cause you're, you're a tutor, uh, creative professional writing at, at Nottingham University. That's right. Yeah. So uh, there, you must uh, you must be influenced every day by uh, by what, what what happens around you there. Surely, it's quite an inspiring place to be. Speaking to writers all the time. I mean, I know when I did an MA in writing, that was one of the great things about it: being around like-minded people, chatting about writing all the time, and it, you know, it was just a really nice couple of years and then now I'm, I'm running the BA program and I'm having the same experience all the time so you know from that point of view it's very inspiring. So being a published author and previously published and previously award-winning as well um, you, you've been reviewed do you read your reviews? I do read them um, when I come across them I mean I don't go like hunting them out but yeah. if I find them I'll read them and see what they say. I think I'm quite thick-skinned you know the one review that really ever got to me along the way was one on Amazon where someone had put me on one of their lists and it was the first book and all they'd put was very depressing and I thought <laughs> well, you know thanks, this yeah. is a year of my life you could have given me more than two words yeah. you know so it's only it's only when people are offhand I guess I mean that was quite early on anyway I probably wouldn't be bothered about that if I'd saw it now but at the time I was like you know put a bit of effort in if you're going to trash me do it properly yeah yeah do it with a bit of style <laughs> exactly and yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. exactly at the moment obviously you're now promoting the haunted and uh, you've got another book coming on the way so you know sort of dividing that time between the creativity and the, and the promotion is that is that a challenge it can be a real challenge i know i really felt it when i was writing my second novel i started my second novel before the first one came out and then i was probably about halfway through it when the first one came out and then you know my time was quite taken up with promotion but also with editing work for you know on the way you know, those last bits those proofreading stages and stuff kept stopping me in my tracks when I was working on the second one so that was a real challenge actually I think you learn to handle it it's being in the head of one character and then you know suddenly leaving that behind and thinking about the other character again and the other story that's the real challenging part I think and you say getting in the head of the characters there I, I find that really intriguing and, and, and talking about the, the kind of uh, psychological horror that, that, that you would write can you sometimes go too far do you have to rein yourself in perhaps what in terms of being inside somebody's yeah. head who's maybe a bit mad as well yeah yeah, yeah I, th- I think it can be quite disturbing at times someone asked me do you get scared when you're actually writing it and I was like I don't think I do and then I realized that actually although I'm not mega aware of it that I do because I was sitting it was when I was writing the bothy actually and I was in the middle of describing something near, quite near the beginning and um, my iPod headphones fell on my legs and I jumped out of my skin. So obviously I am quite tense at the time. Now, what's next? Uh, the uh, Your next book, what, what are you working on now? I've 
just finished a second psychological horror. It's called Possessed, and it's a sort of similar kind of themes and ideas, similar genre to The Haunted. And then I've just finished a draft of a new Nicola Monaghan novel as well. I'm, I'm just tweaking it, really, to send to my agent in the next few days. Excellent. So, so you're slipping back into into this other persona, perhaps, going, going, going yeah. to the pseudonym. Yeah, I mean, I don't find the writing process that different I think when I write the stuff that I suppose you'd you'd call more literary I do spend a bit longer on the words and sentences and think about the themes a bit harder whereas when I'm writing the other stories it's more about entertainment and about the story and the plot and that's what I have to focus on stronger so it's quite refreshing to go from one to the other really. Nikki Valentine was Writing East Midlands Writer of the Month in November. The Haunted is published by Sphere and available now. For more information, go to nikkivalentine.webden.co.uk or follow the link from readingroom.podbean.com. Now, one of the stars of our previous podcast, Elaine Kazimierczuk, returns to us now uh, with a poem called Unbroken Spell. She weaves her presence in the fabric of his days. A sun applies warm rays upon a field of wheat. Spinning out her careless golden thread, unaware of all the many ways her naive feet might falter in their tread, unspoken and remarkably, the spell remains unbroken. This is Brendan Cleary. You're listening to The Reading Room on Siren 107.3. The Reading Room's 101 books to read before you die. Listener Marcia Conter-Davis has added The House of Spirits by Isabel Allende to our 101 books to read before you die list. She says, The book depicts a hard historical passage for her South American country and covers the effects of life, death and a fight for freedom for three generations of a family. The main character is an extremely sensitive girl who is fortunate to carry a very blessed and optimistic soul. In short, it's got reality intertwined with mysticism and paranormal visions a blunt denounce of a corrupt dictatorial government that is everything but boring or ordinary. Our thanks to Marcia for that suggestion, and you can find the full list on our website. And if you have a suggestion, then please email readingroom at sirenonline.co.uk. Time now for the tea break story, and what a cracker we have for you to dunk your biscuits to today. One of the stars of The Reading Room Live in 2011, Richard Barter came to the Siren FM studios recently to record a handful of his short stories. Now, to quote my children's favourite story, Cuddle Up Tight by Rosie Reeve, it's story time, not wriggle about time. The Reading Room presents The Lamb at Cold Harbour, written and read by Richard Barter. I've never liked Christmas with its festivities. It's during the drab decline of January that I scour the byways to catch folk at their lowest ebb. Before they fall, my hand reaches to grasp each one. I ignored the half-hearted dawn of Christmas Eve, and not till the dreary afternoon did I take to the saddle and head north. My mare is a spirited grey. Her white mane and tail, her raking stride, are the envy of sportsmen who call her my familiar. Sensing some quest, she cantered freely along the turnpike, hooves striking sparks from the paving stones. For more than two hours, we made good speed. I should easily have dropped down into the devil's punch bowl and dined at the sign of the hanged man. They know me. I've done business thereabouts. But my mount's stride shortened, and gusts from her nostrils smoked into the cold air. As a feeble moon struggled into the sky... 
we reined in at a modest crossroads, a good hour from journey's end. The distant glow in the valley seemed beyond reach, but nearer lights beckoned weakly through the witching hour. Cold harbour, long neglected, huddled upon a rise behind a gloomy belt of trees. The mare turned aside and trotted the half-mile. As we drew near, lights that had promised welcome were fading. With clouds masking the stars, I could barely make out the black mass of hovels. My mare picked her way beneath the creaking sign, which bore the vague outline of a lamb. Above its head streamed a standard, proud with the arms of some long-dead lordly cleric. A fleece, once shining white, had lost all freshness, and the creature appeared trapped in a thicket of faded and peeling paintwork. The wood, riven and rain-streaked, hovered on its gibbet like a medieval woodcut of the Angel of Death. The yard of the lamb and flag was deserted. I shouted. Within seconds, a young man shambled from a low doorway. As he raised his dark lantern aloft, its one light caught the creases in his face. Ah, sir, you're not the parson. I laughed. Take care of my horseman. But why a parson? Surely he'll be busy on a holy night. The lad went an hour since. He's needed to pray over the little maid. I strode along a narrow passageway where two lamps guttered. A chill breeze blustered through their ill-fitting glass. As I passed, each one flared up fiercely before flickering out. The parlour was as cheerless as a locked church. Dying embers offered no heat and made poor inroads against the shadows. A slumped figure, lost in the gloom, slowly raised its head before the face drooped onto arms, sprawled slackly across a table. Another man, wearing the shirt sleeves and apron of the landlord, hurried from some back kitchen. He bustled to the hearth and threw on more logs. I'll soon have a good blaze for you, sir. A dreary place. What's amiss? The host led me aside. There's been a terrible accident. Is that the girl I heard about as I came in? It is, sir. Such a tragedy. He whispered his sorry tale. The man, with wife and child, was travelling to relations. The little girl had wriggled onto her father's knee to play at driving the gig. All at once the pony shied at some spectre. Struggling to regain control, the father's hands flailed at the reins and the daughter slipped from his hold. They had taken her up lifeless. Not a mark on her, so my missus says. Only she breathed so shallow, you couldn't tell whether she lived or died. She lays upstairs, her mother with her. There's no hope. The father raised his head, voice hollow with despair, words riddled with guilt. Dead, and it's my fault. If only I hadn't let her. His words trailed off. Then with urgent strength he went on. I'd change with her, I would. Death will claim her. Yet if I could take a place, I'd do it at once. How can one console such mortals or calm their desperate conjectures? Violent emotions summon any power, swear vows they cannot comprehend. I could only listen. His words tumbled on. How can I face my wife? She blames me. There's little you can do. Bear her up. She'll need your support. There'll be no comforting her. If only I was lying there and not my little girl. Wild words won't help. Who knows what miracles can happen? Have you prayed? It's too late for prayers. Yes, they may be too late.
The night dragged on until a sliver of dawn dispelled the shades. Footsteps shook the boards above our heads. Then the creaking of an old staircase heralded the landlord's wife. She was crying and laughing at the same time. Sir, sir, she lives, your daughter lives. From behind her skirts peeped a child, barefoot and dressed in a long white gown, as if for communion. Hair hung loose about a placid face, as if she'd woken refreshed from a long sleep. Her guileless beauty had made even death hesitate to take her, though some say that with so implacable a spirit, no such considerations hold sway. The mother weeping, the landlord blessing himself, kitchen maids shaking, the ostler's mouth agape, all were eclipsed by one omission. The father had not risen to clasp his daughter. Joy made no impact on his limp form. He slept on. The daughter touched her father's sleeve. Neither the gentle murmur of his name nor her fearful tug could arouse him. Her desolate outburst silenced them all. The landlord barely heard my whisper. That parson would be needed after all. I left the lamb and flag soon after. My horse, surprised that no one accompanied us, stepped her sure-footed way. The inn glowered even more spectral in the early light, with skeleton branches clinging to the old stone. Unkempt thatch and low ramshackle outbuildings were as forbidding in the watery sun as they had been when cloaked in night. The road was deserted. I arrived in good time. My companions listened to my strange adventure, amused that I had been so easily fobbed off. In two days, Christmas was over. Before I headed south, my friends bade me discover how my weird tale of the lamb at Cold Harbour had ended. I found the parlour as forlorn, the dying embers more cheerless. The landlord recognised me, but instead of a welcome, he shook his haggard head like a sorrowing soul. We're expecting the parson, sir. But why? Exhausted eyes darted to the staircase. Have you not heard? To pray for the little girl. First the girl, then her father, now it's the girl again. Sir, you saw him yourself, feverish, rambling, sunk in delirium. Even as you left, Parson was praying for his soul when, Lord save us, he recovers. And his daughter? That night she was taken with a seizure. She lies waiting for death as we speak. Her poor mother and father watch over her. How can such an innocent be so cruelly snatched away? What is innocence except ignorance by another name? Neither innocence nor ignorance is talisman against death claiming his own. The lamb and flag lost its innocence. She is there no longer. My mare treads lighter to feel her familiar burden. The girl sits before me, safe in my arms. Others I throw carelessly across my saddle, but her, I carry her gently where she must go. It should have been her father days ago, but he dishonoured the pact he so desperately wished for. So now his daughter must accompany me. As we canter down the track, the parson strides by. He says nothing, too engrossed in the saving of souls. But he's too late. He cannot see me. He certainly fails to see the little girl.
Riders on the storm Riders on the storm Into this house we're born Into this world we're thrown now it's time to take a look back and ahead as we ask the team their favourite book that they've read this year and Jill is also going to be telling us what we should be reading next year. Uh, now it's youngest first. Oh hey, that's me. And we're not necessarily choosing books that have been published this year. So my choice is this uh, and it's uh, Chris Evans, Memoirs of a Fruitcake. I picked this up earlier on in the year in uh, a, a bookshop that sells off old books for a couple of quid, uh, this hardback book. And do you know what? It's because it was almost like a holiday uh, because we didn't have to read it for the programme. And I, a question that I ask uh, authors and you know, interviewees generally is, can you still get lost in a good book if you're not reviewing it? And that question comes from my own thing, you know, because if we're reviewing a book like 1Q84, I'm probably at the back of my mind sometimes thinking, well, you know, we need to slip this in the review, we need to do that. With this Chris Evans book, it was just pure entertainment. It's, a, it's an area I'm interested in, obviously, in radio. Um, and uh, it was quite an intriguing way as to how he got the Radio 2 breakfast show. But um, the bit that had me staring off into the middle distance uh, for a long, long time uh, was this bit. I'm, I'm going to read a very, very quick bit for you now. And it was all about a time that they went over to L.A. and uh, when he was uh, married to Billy Piper and they were looking around Lionel Richie's house and the cast of Friends were also looking around Lionel Richie's house and they were about to swoop it from under their very nose. So, you know, it's that kind of escapism. Um, but if he wanted to, as I'm sure he did, Lionel could get out of his bed in the morning and without setting foot outside the perimeter of the master bedroom suite, dive straight into the cool, dark water, swim out into the open air, across the garden and into his kitchen. Now, you don't get that in St. George's Hill. Now, for me, that was it. That, that seems like, you know, if I ever get a swimming pool that goes from my bedroom to my kitchen, I'm going to stand up and say, yes, I've won. Hey, everyone, look at me. Now, that was just pure escapism. So there, there's my contribution. Jill, your favourite book that you've read this year. Well, I know you pulled a face at me earlier, Paul, when I said this, but my favourite book this year has been the Selena Hastings biography, which I read earlier in the year about Somerset Maugham. I've read lots of Maugham on the back of that, and that was the best biography I think I've ever read. It was brilliant. It took me on to the stories. There's, uh, it's taken me into lots of great things. Well, that, that's good. I mean, the, the face would be one of uh, abject indifference, not... <laughs> Not, you know, not not sort of any any kind of scorn. You know, you know, I'm always happy for you to uh, to read yes. what, what you read. Now then, Johnny, go on, go for it. Well, I'm going to cheat and choose two um, oh. because I'm the producer and I can do stuff like that. <laughs> um, I'm first of all I'm going to say Catcher in the Rye, which of course is one of these books that everyone should read. It's on our list of 101 books to read before you die. And I was actually in New York when I was reading it. Oh, which have, I did. Have, yeah. Have you I been to New York? I'm not Johnny? just boasting. I'm hey. just dropping that in. Yeah. Um, and that really did. Because it, it's very descriptive about New York and the streets and the locations. So it, that really did bring it to life. Um, but my official choice, I think, I'm going to have to be very predictable and go for Stuart Lee's book, How I Escaped My Certain Fate which was uh, a book all about um, stand-up, and it's, it's made up of uh, transcripts of some of his live shows with very detailed footnotes about where the jokes came from, how they went down in various locations, that sort of thing. And the the, the kind of route behind it was that uh, Lee said that he'd, he'd read a lot of other books about other comedians, and although they told you a lot about that comedian's life and, you know, their relationship with their parents and all that kind of stuff, there's not really any books out there that talk about the comedy itself and where the actual material comes from. 
and I, I found it just fascinating. I'm a big fan of, of Stuart Lee anyway, but I just found this a fascinating approach to comedy. And of course, uh, when we come back in February, if you prefer a milder comedian, please ask for one. Uh, we'll be reviewing Stuart Lee's EP book, I think it's called. You know, it's, it's only 100 pages, so they're calling it an EP. And for those of us who can remember records, <laughs> they will know what an EP is like. Um, thanks very much for that. Um, now, I think it's very, very interesting that none of us chose a book from the Reading Room Book Group. <laughs> well, my other one would be the Murakami because I, really? I loved it. I yeah. loved them. I did, yes. Well, good news. Uh, well, that, yes. Well, maybe you should. <laughs> okay, Jill. Now we're going to look ahead okay. to, uh, to to next year. I mean, reading room wise, next year we are going to be doing another reading room live, and we're also going to be uh, looking at World Book Night as well because that mm. will be uh, hitting us uh, b- before we know it. And uh, obviously, we'll be uh, all about the Lincoln Book Festival 2012. Uh, but what should we be reading? Uh, New Year's titles. Come on, Jill. Give us. First of all, I picked one that we've already talked about actually um, when it was out in hardback last year. But I picked. Karen Maitland's Gallows Curse which is going to be out in paperback by Penguin in March and I I picked this because there's so many books come out in hardback and if you don't really know the author maybe you don't buy them but the beauty of the next year is you then get them all again in paperback so you get the chance to read them again. Exactly, I mean Karen Maitland was a fascinating interview Mm. I mean she brought the subject to life for me as you know Jill, that's you know historical fiction not my particularly you know it's not it's not something not the section i walk towards uh in a, in a bookshop but uh, if you go back to room 12 on the podcast you'll hear that karen maitland interview yes. and she's i mean she's absolutely brilliant isn't she so try the paperback if you missed it first time around okay i, I will um other than that i've picked um alistair reynolds blue remembered earth that's published by glance in hardback in january and i've read quite a bit of his uh, sci-fi recently including the first the revelation space series that goes back quite a long way now he's one of the foremost contemporary writers Writers of science fiction and speculative fiction at the moment and on the back of his books it always says a master of space opera which I think he is and this one is the start of a great new trilogy so if anybody likes sci-fi and wants to try somebody different this is the chance to start on a brand new series with him okay well that, I mean, that sounds good to me you know again <coughs> not too keen on the old sci-fi but the, the, the trilogy I don't know it, it's going to take some investment isn't it that? well they always do but you know that's um, that's how it works and at the end of the day science fiction is not about space it's how to how to be a good human and always has been from Star Wars and Star Trek onwards really so uh, good stuff I see but I mean how many books did you read last year Jill? Well we were talking earlier and I think I probably average about 10 a month Exactly. I probably do. So uh, it's quite a lot. And when you try to ask me my favourite, you think, gosh, that's a lot of books. (laughs) It is, isn't it? Yeah. Um, The other ones that I've picked out, I've picked out um, a crime title. A lot of people like reading crime. It's a nice, easy page turning read. But the ones I I particularly like the sound of is the new Ellie Griffiths, which is called A Room Full of Bones, published by Quercus in January. It's her fourth novel in the Ruth Galloway crime series. Uh, These are a series of novels set in atmospheric Norfolk, all about uh, forensic archaeology, basically, as a crime thing. She's very popular and she's a really good up-and-coming read and I would tip it, I would be very, very surprised if these don't get televised somewhere along the way. They're very good books. Now, you say it's the fourth uh, in a series. Yes. Now, if I join that number four in, am I, am I going to get it? You would, yes, yes, because each is a standalone story and works perfectly well. But like all of them from Rebus onwards, if you start at the beginning, you get the development of the character and their relationships, which just gives you another level. But they do all stand alone really well. Okay, right, what's next? Something a little bit different. Sue Townsend, the woman who went to bed for a year. She's published in Penguin in Hardback in March. And we best know her from Adrian Mole, of course. She's one of Britain's favourite comic novelists. And next year sees the 30th anniversary of The Secret 
secret diary of Adrian Mole, aged 30 and three quarters, who presumably now is uh, 43 and three quarters. It makes us all feel old, that. Yeah. This will be very funny and it is going to be um, a book about family life and the humorous aspects of family life going wrong. So it's going to be very funny. And you can find full details of all Jill's recommendations on our website, readingroom.podbean.com. Hi, I'm Richard Herring. Hello, this is Georgia Twynham. Hi, this is Mark Kermode. This is Tony Hawkes. This is Karen Maitland. This is Brandon Cleary. And you're listening to The Reading Room. The Reading Room. The Reading Room. On Siren 107.3 FM. Poet John Welsh has featured on The Reading Room previously. He's read a short story for us and we've also heard some of his travel poetry. Here's another one of his. This is African Susan. I decided to go walk about, afar with wide intent, new views, new lands, new people, on the African continent. But embarking on my research, with journal, atlas and net, I knew I would only gain the knowledge from someone I had met. A meeting was made formal, and ideas they were born. So it was off with plans and biscuits to the village of Hackthorn. Wall maps in the chapel, artefacts at which I could gape, the target area narrowed from the jungle to the cape. Sue and I got cosy, a chat and a cup of tea, Africa vast and exciting, she sold it thrice to me. Time passed oh so quickly, and this I can truly tell. These are places I have not been to, and most I cannot spell. Sue painted a picture on the canvas of my mind. Mountains, rivers larger than life, all these there I would find. So my appetite is whetted for this new continental ride. Oh, just one more question. Will you be my tour guide? Thanks for listening. We're taking a short break in January, so our next full programme will be available at the beginning of February, when we'll be reviewing Stuart Lee's new book. If you prefer a milder comedian, please ask for one. But in the meantime, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll find the links from our website, readingroom.podbean.com. 